Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast with the confidence of John O'Corn claiming to be the best quarterback in the 2018 draft. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of mazeandbrew.com. Andy, you unyielding podcast rogue. How you been? How was your Independence Day? Oh, July 4th was great, man. Spent it with my girlfriend. It was a lot of fun. I've been watching the Tour de France because I'm kind of weird like that. It's a great mm-hmm. sports time. I mean, NBA Finals are on, Stanley Cup's on. I mean, pick your, I mean, pick your flavor. Got whatever you it, want out there. I love it. This is actually a great sports time. And, I mean, celebrating the, uh, you know, the separation from the imperialist powers, 4th of July. Also celebrating the time that Captain Stephen Hillard saved us from the aliens, liberating all of mankind. It's a beautiful, beautiful weekend. And, yeah, uh, I'm in on the NBA Finals. I've been... You know, in on all the Michigan news and excited to be back here talking some sports with you after a long break. I know it was, it was a week off, you know, spent time with our families. We, we try to do that occasionally. Against I didn't our, see any family and neither did you. Against, we both don't, don't lie. We got drunk in random cities with, you know, with, with various individuals of ill repute with, with women. Um, yeah, yeah we yeah, try yeah. to see family. It just doesn't work out sometimes. So, uh, you know, we just kept, you know, spreading the Michigan gospel out there. Had a lot of <laughs> hypothetical conversations, talked about how we're a basketball school, you know, things like that. Yes, yes. I'm spreading the gospel that Michigan is a basketball school anywhere and everywhere that I go. However, there has been some news. Always got to start with that. Uh, let's start with uh, let's start with the, the good news here. The one that we were kind of waiting on that 
really gives us our our outlook for next year in basketball and that is the man the myth the legend hunter dickinson coming back for at least one more year to lead what should be the most loaded michigan basketball unit that we've seen in some time and uh Devontae jones is that his name? Devontae jones yes also who was considering the draft i didn't necessarily see him as much of a threat to go i hadn't seen him in the top 150 prospects so he he needed a really good combine, but also like that's huge. I mean, let's let's not discredit that. You're absolutely so, right. Starting lineup: Devontae Jones, Eli Brooks, Caleb Houston, probably Brandon Johns, Hunter Dickinson. Oof, duh. Yeah. Okay, I'm in. I'm all that in. Push the a chips lot forward. of sauce. Yeah, especially the Brandon Johns resurgence in the tournament. It's like, this is what we've been waiting on. And now Hunter Dickinson's like, I got to develop an outside game and some uh, right-handed post moves. Take all, take, take everything from me. Right, and I'm sure that was a lot of the feedback, kind of the stuff that we had broken down and other people had broken down. I mean, yeah. he, he was just getting the opinions of those guys, and, and everybody sees it, especially – watching like DeAndre Ayton and some of these guys in the finals, like what you need to be to be a big man in the modern NBA and be successful. He still has some tools that he could build, but all the skills are there. The athleticism's there. The desire seems like a great guy to coach. Um, already becoming a leader on that team, like the guys are, are pumped to have him back. So this is, I mean, this is huge for the team. That is a understatement of understatements. He makes us, I think, I mean, people are going to sleep on us like they do every year, but I mean, we have to be the favorites coming out of the big. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, uh, coming out of the big, a top five team preseason. If not, it's just ludicrous. Uh, and he and Devontae Jones got some run together, running with the Sacramento Kings in their camp, NBA, whatever, transitional period. So they've already had some time together, which is just building the chemistry for next season already. Let's go. Let's get some pick and rolls going. I'm absolutely here for it. Um, so Devante, probably primary ball handler or Eli. I mean, I need to watch some more Devante, but probably uh Devante from Hunter Dickinson said he was a pretty sneaky good creator. But the fact having two ball handlers is not a bad thing as we saw last year. And Eli Brooks plays so well off the ball, I'm fine with whatever. Yeah, absolutely. This is gonna be huge. Can't wait to go deeper into that as we inch closer to basketball season. But football season is the most immediate and pressing concern now as we shift towards that. Uh, the first news that dropped since we last spoke was the NIL news, which uh, we kind of talked about off air. And we you know, don't really know what to make of it yet. It's very early in the process. NIL standing for names, image, and likeness. Basically, players allowed to profit from their names, images, and likenesses at their university this theoretically should be a great thing for Michigan, I think, is one thing we did agree upon, though. Absolutely. It, it should be a great thing for Michigan. A lot of money to throw around to lure recruits, help expand with the network that Michigan has through alumni and everything else. The Barstool Dave Portnoy connection has been a big thing with people of that age, so another connection. It should help. This should be a big boon for Michigan recruiting, but we'll see because – Looking at Michigan's cycle right now and teams like Ohio State's cycle right now, it's sad. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to touch on, you mentioned the Barstool connection. We've already seen some guys inking deals of some kind and some nature. I need to look into it more to see what the specifics of these deals are and how it's going to work. I've read, you know, kind of what they're trying to do down in Miami. I mean, it's at this point, it almost is going to be like the wild, wild west. This has never happened before. 
and it's a new era and you know we'll see exactly what it leads to but michigan being almost perennially a top five earner you know as far as college athletics should put us in a great position to benefit from this and i hope that we're just not so old school you know, and archaic in our thinking that we don't realize how great of an opportunity this could be to to balance the scales and maybe get some parity going again in college football. If Mason Brew could sponsor one athlete and you got to choose who it was, who would it be from Michigan? Ooh. See, I like, you mentioned Barstool. They went in on Andrew Anthony and I like that approach. It's kind of like the gambling buy low and expect for a high output. You know, because they hear Andrew Anthony could be a guy. He's a freshman. No one's really heard of him. I like that approach, but I think we want somebody with some sauce. So if we're doing that, what about a Blake Corum? A somebody that's got. Did you see that picture of Blake Corum today on Twitter? He's massive. Like he's he's a stud. Did he, he eat the old Blake Corum? Like yeah. he's, <laughs> Osman he's Savage. Has anybody heard from him? I think Blake Corum ate him. <laughs> Uh, that's that's the working theory right now. Police are working, looking into it. But I, I would go with somebody like that. Somebody that's got a little bit higher chance to pop this year. And if they pop, could end up being like one of the dudes in the Big Ten. Who would be your choice? I would take A.J. Henning. And I'm going to borrow a phrase from J.R. Smith and make sure to say anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fantastic choice. And then sponsor him with Hennessy. Exactly. That's Easily the move. He's like 19. I don't know if that would work. I think he's almost 20. <laughs> I don't hold the rules. <laughs> so just get a shirt that says anything is possible. Sell itself. That's, I love how far ahead of the game you are, sir. We're all playing checkers. <laughs> I'm making chess moves. I, I tried to think about some of the other names on the team and where we could venture out to. There's definitely some options. Like you could easily make Roman Wilson, like Roman Empire shirts or just something with Cordelius Johnson. Like you could do, there's some ways to be great. You and I'd be great at this. Our Nico Suave um, shirt would have sold like, Oh man, Nico Suave. Look, the people in Houston, it's not too late to get in on that. He's, you know, (laughs) he's a Houston Texan and Nico Suave. If he blows up, we need to cash in. When you win one game this year, you're going to be mad. You're going to be proud. You have this shirt. Absolutely. Um, I did see something and I wish I could remember where I saw it, but I believe they were having like Vegas odds on who are going to be the top earners. And in the top names was Cade McNamara for potential top earners. I mean, because you are the quarterback of one of the richest schools. Yeah, that's that's going to be a draw. Dude, we could easily make like Cade Mac shirts and just have like the top of it frosted like his tips. Yes, I love it. We need somebody whose nickname is Cheese so that we can have like a mac and cheese. Like Andrew Anthony needs to somehow develop the nickname Cheese and then it's just mac and cheese. <laughs> That's Andrew, I need to get on this. You have to. <laughs> somehow become named Cheese. Well, his is so easy with something like A-A-N-A-A. Like the yeah, yeah, there's something there. there. Something there's something there. there. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, we'll do the nicknames podcast later down the line. Oh, that one has to. I mean, that's I mean, it's my favorite podcast of the season. That might be our yeah. next podcast. absolutely but let's get to let's get to this podcast and a few weeks ago we did the 2013 season what could have been kind of an exercise looking back at these somewhat forgotten seasons because if a season ends with a dud it's so easy to just forget about it move on kind of go on to the next thing and it becomes lost to history but while you're in those seasons they're really compelling and there's some great storylines going on and the 2017 season maybe had some of the most compelling storylines and is one of the biggest what ifs and maybe in Michigan history. Yeah, coming off the 2016 team, which is 
arguably one of the three greatest Michigan teams of all time, pound for pound, how talented it was, all the I'm players that went into the draft months earlier. So coming off that season, everyone was riding high, but there was a lot of question marks in the air. One returning starter on defense. The offense was shaken up a little bit. A lot of losses of Chesson, Darbo. So there were a lot of questions to be answered. And we found out early, you know, heading into Florida, it was going to be a big test in Jerry World. Yeah, so that was the game of the year. We came in ranked number 11. Um, yeah, we go down there to Jerry World. Everyone eyes on that. Wilton Spade is named the starter. There was an open competition. We all were pretty sure it was going to be Spate. The, the uh, freshman Brandon Peters, you know, was kind of the guy that people were talking about. But this was a great recruiting class coming in. 30 recruits came in in this recruiting class. Uh, no matter how you slice it, it was a top five class coming in. Uh, this is the year they went to Italy um, in the spring, which was really cool. They were still doing all those trips. Who knows if that'll ever happen again. Open up in Arlington, Jerry World, the Tariq Black-Quinn Nordine game, where I'm sure if you went back and listened to our podcast, we anointed Quinn Nordine and Tariq Black as the saviors of the program. Quinn Nordine hit a 55-yard field goal like it was nothing in this game. It's like, okay, this is the hype. This is why Jim Harbaugh stayed the night at your house and was climbing trees in Pennsylvania. Like, it all makes sense. <laughs> like a lunatic. Like, yeah, just, uh, but to be fair, he was the first kicker in Michigan history to hit two 50-plus yard field goals in the same game. And we win that game 33-17. And at that point, uh, I will. this wasn't the highest hype point of the year, but hype was high here. Yeah, Ty Isaac went for a buck 14, averaged 10 yards a carry. Wilton Spate was awful, just irrefutably awful in this game. He was only 11 of 25, <laughs> then threw one touchdown and two picks. Like That's awful, and was, we won 33-17. The two things I remember the most about this game are the coming out party for the players you already mentioned, Tariq Black and Nordine, and also the arrival of Chase Winovich. Yes, absolutely. On defense, guys start showing up. Devin Bush has a great highlight reel from this game. So you start to see some of the young talent come in, and the defense is going to be a common thing in this uh, in this podcast because this offense, there's just no no rhyme or reason to any of it, but this defense kept us in every game in this entire year. Uh, so then after that, Cincinnati, first year of Luke Fickle, after we, uh, we showed him the door at Ohio State and gave him a, a loss there, um, not really much I remember about this game other than Kakoa Crawford catches a touchdown in this game. So we've got wide receivers catching touchdowns against Florida and against Cincinnati. So remember that because it doesn't happen much after this. <laughs> the rest of the season, it's very grim. And coming off the high that was Florida, Michigan kind of, kind of enters this lull period with Cincinnati that continues the next weekend to Air Force, where it's just best described as, meh, like, yeah, they got the win. There's nothing to write home about. Cincinnati wasn't the dominant group of five team they are now. They were just kind of middling as Fickle was building the program, and there wasn't too much to take away. It was like, okay, Michigan's just kind of playing down to the level of their competition. Yeah, absolutely. And the next couple games kind of follow that same pattern that you were just talking about where it's like, all right, you know, the better team kind of just wins out in the fourth quarter. Like things were really tight again in all the next games against Cincinnati, which we win 36 14. Uh, Spate finishes that game. Air Force closer than it should have been, but we pull away late 29 13. Uh, Donovan Peoples Jones has a 79 yard punt return in this one, kind of his coming out game. That was a great moment for him. 
um, absolutely shook the punter in that one. I mean, you should always shake the punter, but it was nasty. Uh, 29-13 in that one. Then we get to Purdue, and things start to get interesting. Yeah, this is where the season really starts to swing because Wilton Spate gets in- injured and injured John O'Corn, who Ugh. at the time, <laughs> please never, never revisit our podcast after this game because we say things we can never take back about John O'Corn, positive things. It's bad. <laughs> so that John O'Corn enters, and where are his numbers? He actually was pretty respectable in that he goes 18 of 26 for 270 yards, a touchdown and an interception. And yeah, like you said, we had a podcast after that, just talking about the sauce that he brought because up to that point, Wilton Spate really had struggled and we were not sold on Wilton Spate. And we, you know, the, the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy on the team. And we had heard O'Corn was ahead of Peters. So we were like, all right, well, I guess let's try O'Corn. He comes in, has a little bit more juice, and gets the win at Purdue. Uh, you know, we're looking good. We're undefeated already at this point in the season. And then comes Michigan State, and the wheels fall off. God. What do you remember? Most at home, yeah. no less. At home, in a monsoon. The dumbest game ever. <laughs> the, maybe the single most frustrating game of the Jim Harbaugh era because it's yeah. a monsoon, and the team just wants to aerate it. They just want to sling the ball around and pretend like we're Texas Tech with Cliff Kingsbury. And it's awful. The game is disaster. And there's the famous, famous play of the Michigan State player making the choking sign right after Eddie McDoom dropped a pass late in the game to lose. And, yeah, this was a dark time. <laughs> this is a dark game. This, this is, yeah, this is the darkest, darkest timeline here. Um, let's just start with the fact that they threw the ball 35 times in a monsoon in an absolute monsoon, and you had your running backs were basically the core of your team. You had a triumvirate of Higdon, Evans, and Isaac that were really, really good. Uh, So you get 12 carries for Higdon, 12 for Evans, and Ty Isaac got like four, I think. Yeah, And John O'Corn threw the ball 35 times. Yeah, and threw three picks while he was at it. While he was doing it, like... So this game, and I remember like our podcast after this game, we went in on the coaching staff. This was a coaching loss for sure, in my opinion, and revisiting it now down the road, I still think this is a coaching loss. To put John O'Corn out there and to be like, no, we're going to win or lose this game on your arm at home in a monsoon. Brian Lewerke was 11 for 22, 94 yards and a touchdown in a winning effort. Like, in a winning effort, because 22, that you should not throw it more than 20 times in a monsoon. Why would you? Michigan's only beaten Michigan State one time at home under Jim Harbaugh. Yikes. Yeah, we lost in 15-17, and we won in 19. 19's our only win at home against Michigan State at, at, yeah, at the big house. Disgusting. Fire him. <laughs> That's your best case for it, because those first two – home Michigan State losses, our trouble with the snap, which is not on him, but this one is an entirely on the coaching staff. Like it was, yeah. I mean, yeah. the conditions were awful. Like you said, a monsoon. It was bad, but revisiting this, I think exactly what I thought the first time we went through this. So I'm sticking with that. Um, well, the fact bad, that they bad. won two and they didn't score in the second half. <laughs> they didn't score in the second half. They still beat us 14 to 10. 12 rush, twelve carries for Karan Higdon is criminal. He was averaging criminal. 5.4 yards a carry. Yeah. It was, this, 
that's that's criminal. Like that is negligence. It, the leading on, on right, so the leading receivers on this team, if you want to get even sadder, Grant Perry, a receiver. Then it's Sean McCune, Karan Higdon, Khalid Hill, Chris Evans, Ian Bunting, Eddie McDoom, and Maurice Ways. Those that's who caught passes. Nine of those ten people are employees at Office Depot. Yeah, you could make this up the next year. Chris Evans was delivering pizzas in Ann Arbor. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> Ian Bunting disappeared. Yeah, we still don't know where he's at. I hope he's okay. All right, so Michigan State, we lose 14-10. Um, it, it goes from really being a season that could be amazing. You lose to a rival. It's dark, and it looks like Mordor out on the field, and the coaching staff seems to blow it. We went from really high to really low because we also didn't have an answer at quarterback. We go into Indiana. We go to Indiana, and John O'Corn goes, and this is not a made-up statistic, 10 of 20 for 58 yards in a winning effort. Thank God Karan Higdon exists, who went for over 200 yards and three touchdowns in this game. But my God. It's one of the worst passing lines I've ever seen in a winning effort. <laughs> I think it is. It's, I mean, this is the best quarterback in the 2018 draft, self-proclaimed. Um, yeah, so he says. But God bless Karan Higdon. He doesn't get enough credit for this season. He finishes just six yards away from 1,000. And Which is he, also just, yeah, that's like a testament to how close and yet far away this season was from greatness. If Karan Higdon had the touches in the Michigan State game like he deserved, he would have 2,000-yard seasons at Michigan. Yeah, yeah. The coaching staff really failed Karan Higdon because he obviously should have gone over a bit. That's a great point. <laughs> if you get even close to what you should get in a game in a monsoon, which I think for your lead back should be 2018 carries. It should have been the Michigan Notre Dame game of 2019 when it was exactly at the big what he did. Yeah. And we just, they learned the lesson at least. And yeah. You just with Haskins. Haskins. That's what you should yeah, have done in this Absolutely. One. That's yeah. That's I, we, we just keep going back to it. Cause we're so mad, but yeah, they cost him a thousand yard season. Um, so yeah, we get that win at Indiana. Then we go at Penn state. This game is a weird game in that it was 21, 13 at the half. We're staying in this and really our defense in the first half, throughout the season was incredible. Um, at this point, Don Brown is really, he's at home with this defense. And while the defensive numbers don't blow you away as far as like points per game, the fact that they kept us in every single game, even this Penn State game, which got ugly late, um, was a testament to why this could have been such a good season. Yeah, even when it got ugly at the end of the year in a yards per game like measurement, Michigan finished third in the country. Like, there was a great defense that season with what they had to fill in. And Penn State really came out here on one because the year before, don't forget, they won the Big Ten. And they went to the Rose Bowl and won and upset USC and Sam Darnold. But Michigan smoked them in the big house. Just rolled this team when they were 2-2. Two and two. So they came in with a real edge at Happy Valley. It was at night. And eventually, Saquon Barkley was just too much. Three total touchdowns for Barkley in that game. Uh, don't look at Michigan's offensive stats in that game. They will upset you. Uh, after that, it's Rutgers. So at this point, we got two losses, Michigan State, Penn State. We're pretty much out of the Big Ten race. So we're pretty down in that regard. But two loss, like a two-loss season is still a great season if you can win out. And obviously, Ohio State still looming there. But we don't really know what we have at quarterback after that abhorrent performance. Then we get Rutgers. Karan Higdon and Ty Isaac both go over 100 yards rushing in this. But the story is John O'Corn goes three for five and a pick 
to, to start this game and it starts raining booze in Ann Arbor. In comes Brandon Peters and all of a sudden hope runneth anew in Ann Arbor. Brandon Peters walks in and goes 10 of 14 for 124. But more importantly, it's just, it was similar, honestly, to last season when Cade McNamara came in. It was just, a, it was hope. He came hope, in there yeah. slinging the ball, was delivering it accurately on time. And it was like, oh, okay, this is what a competent quarterback should look like. I mean, sorry, Joe Milton, you fell apart. So this is what it looked like. And again, we immediately got sucked in. But early in the season, I remember I was at the spring game that year, and you watched it on uh, TV. We're like, dude, Brandon Peters is like Peyton Manning today. We're just slinging the ball. And he came in. He finally got his run. We've been calling for him all year and came in here, and we thought, okay, we're going to salvage this season, and we're going to run the table. I'm glad you brought up the spring game because he was a gamer yeah. in the spring game, came in and looked like the best guy, and you and I are big believers in that and that some guys you just need to put under the, the bright lights. And he came in, and you can't say that he lit it up. Ten for fourteen for a buck twenty-four is solid, but it's not, you know, changing the world. Obviously, they, you know, made the offense simple for him. They leaned on their running game, but that's all we needed. Because I mean, if you look at the Michigan State loss and even the Penn State game, we didn't need much to get wins in those games. We just needed average quarterback play, and for him to come in and be average, you know, as a freshman, that was hope again. You as know, you, for this team at that point as you as we revisit this and we see like the tim drevno play calling effects and you know his influence there but also the coaching decision not to run the ball as much was the offense archaic or was the play calling just bad i think it was the play calling now that we yeah now that we revisit this especially looking at the offensive numbers from 2016 when this offense was crazy efficient and crazy good in the red zone and, you know, averaged almost 40 points a game. And then this season for there to be such a drop off. Now, Wilton Spate was not lighting it up out of the gate. John O'Corn never lit it up, but yet we were winning games and, you know, we were putting up 30 something points a game. So we all saw that it was there. We just needed to work within the talent that we had and we were not doing that. So I put a lot of it on play calling. You know, we were not happy with Tim Drevno at this point in the season. No, we weren't. It's really interesting just to come back to that because I remember at the time we're like, oh, we need to be running the spread. We need to do this and that. And I think it was just a lot simpler. It's like we need to just do what we do best because when we pounded yeah. the rock, it was fine. And if you do that against, you know, against the bigger teams like Penn State, Wisconsin, you need to have a little bit more versatility. But arguably, if we run the ball against Michigan State and our quarterback doesn't get hurt against Wisconsin, there's two more wins. <laughs> Absolutely. And Wisconsin, look, do they ever really have elite quarterbacks? They do what we're talking about right now. Play good defense, run the ball well enough, and, you know, don't have your quarterback kill you. Yeah. You know, and that's that's kind of what we were looking for this season. We didn't come into 2017 with high expectations, but because of how close we were and the fact that we started out with some really good wins and are even in the losses, it's like those could have been wins. You know, it, it's you start to really want more for this team. And I think at this point in the season, uh, we, we really wanted more. But um, after that, Minnesota wanted to get into that one, because I think this may be the second peak of the hype. This is the one we win this one 33 to 10. Karan Higdon goes for 200 yards. Chris Evan goes for 191 in that game. I and was, we win it 33-10. Kalee Hudson sets the record for tackles for losses. I was at this game, and it was delayed because of uh, there was a huge rainstorm that night. It was also the same night, 
I believe Ohio State got blown out by Iowa at Kinnick. It's like 55 to 20. So the stadium was just hot. So we're all inside Chrysler watching this game on the TVs. And then we go into the big house. And Evans and Higdon just go berserk. Minnesota can't get out of the backfield. It was This was the game when I saw Ambry Thomas for the first time in person. I'm like, oh, he's the fastest player on the field. <laughs> I remember that. I remember and that. It was Yeah, this is when like you really felt like, oh, okay, Michigan is still here. We still have that 2016 juice where we can turn it up against a team like this. Absolutely. And the fact that, you know, we had hope renewed from Brandon Peters being the starter now and looking like he had control of the offense. And we know what we've got. We are a running team. We have an identity. We are going to run the ball and we are going to play defense. Okay, let's go. Bet. I like it. Like, I'll put our 11 on defense against your 11 on offense any day. And yeah, after that win, and then we get Maryland, um, it's 28 nothing at the half. So like after that Minnesota game, Henry Pogge's out here running touchdowns against Maryland. This is at Maryland. Uh, Peters is slinging it in this game. Uh, at this point, Chris Evans goes over the 500-yard rushing mark. Um, Isaac and Higdon are well over that. Looks like Higdon's rushing to 1,000 yards. Um, Peters goes 9 for 18, 145, two touchdowns. It's a 35-10 win. No problems. We're going to Wisconsin the next week. Was that – oh, yeah, that – at this point, like you said, Michigan knew who they were. They're rolling. And there's something to be said about you knowing yourself in, in right. football and in life. Like, no matter what, it's like you know who you are. It's a big advantage. So, Michigan, we have all this momentum. We roll into into Camp Randall. The atmosphere is crazy. And we're right there in this game until we're not when Brandon Peters goes down with an injury. And, I mean, we're going to talk about the categories in the second half, but it's hard. I mean, there's obviously two instances to point at. Wilton Spate goes down, and then Peters goes down. Um, the game is tied at the half here. Um, Peters goes out sometime right before the half. The second half, John O'Corn comes in. He goes two for eight. We can't move the ball whatsoever. Um, Wisconsin pulls away late in this one. And, I mean, it It. It just kind of – it seemed like the end, um, and we were really bummed about it. You know, we're, we're going against Ohio State, but Ohio State's at home the next week. It was – this was an emotional roller coaster is what I remember about this point in the season. And this game was crazy too because Wisconsin was undefeated. They were 11-0 and at this point, fifth in the country, and had the second-best defense in the country. And Michigan is right there with them. That's why this season has been such a fun, like, what-if, because you see where the potential was. Like, it was said 14, yeah, 7-7 seven, seven at half, and then without Peters in the next half, they outscores 14-3 in the third, and the game's pretty much over from there. Yeah, it's a big what-if and a game that was so much within our reach. Um, and then there's Ohio State. So the Ohio State game, there was talk that maybe Peters would play for that game. We were really hoping for that. I remember on the podcast saying, we were. I was pretty down. You At that point, we were O'Corn haters. <laughs> so we're like, if O'Corn starts, we don't stand a chance. If Peters starts, we like us in this game. Ohio State that year, like it just felt like a year that we could get one. It was at home. Uh, Ohio State kind of down two losses that year. Yeah, exactly. Down for them. Uh, then we got the word O'Corn was starting. But then this game, you know, when it actually, when they roll the balls out, I mean, the, at half, it's a tight, tight contest. We had the lead at, what was it, 21 nothing at one point? Michigan, 14 nothing. 14 nothing. 14 Ohio nothing. State has the ball, and Josh Metellus drops a would be pick six. 
on the, I think I believe it was like second down for them on Michigan's forty, and then about Huge two two or three plays later, JT Barrett scores, and then it's fourteen seven, then fourteen fourteen at half. It's a little too early in the game to call it like the crux of the game, and this is what shifted it, especially with all the chances we had on offense. But would have been a absolutely huge play. I mean, it could have been a fourteen point swing at that point in the game. So this, and then yeah, John O'Corn just misses wide open receivers in the second half and becomes the quarterback that he is. It's even then though, it was twenty one twenty after three quarters. We're right in this thing. It was twenty four to twenty. Michigan has the ball driving right near midfield with O'Corn, and it's like, okay, here we go, fourth and four. Jim Jim Harbaugh is putting it on the table, and he just doesn't look at Chris Evans on the checkdown, who's standing there wide open at the first down marker, and then they get the ball, move it a couple plays, and Mike Weber rips our hearts out. And of all the things that we've screamed on this podcast, isn't Chris Evans is always open in the flat like one of the things that we've screamed the most? When they ran that touchdown to him in 2018 against Ohio State, we're just like, thank you. This is we a- lost it. We were like, why aren't you doing this all the time? You talk about how it's hard to blame the crux of this game on Metellus, but what it reminds me of is in also in 2018 when Shea Patterson fumbles the ball inside the five near the goal line, and it goes right to the yeah. Ohio State player. But then yeah. – um, Dobbins fumbles it for Ohio State and it bounces like a basketball right back to him and he still rushes right for 12 yards. Hands. Yeah, where it's just like for some reason somebody in the Michigan family somewhere along the line did something to really upset the football gods. Yeah, there's somebody Fitz Chrysler made somebody mad a long time ago and we're still getting you know ripped <laughs> off. Benny Oosterbahn did something and just like yeah. spat on a gypsy and. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure Betty Oosterdam like buried some Native American remains underneath one of the end zones or something. <laughs> That's the only way to explain some of these happenings. But yeah, this season quickly went from what could have been a resurgent, kind of surprising, fun, quirky underdog team to eight and five. To eight and five. But all right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the bowl game and then we will get into some of the categories and the uh, the, the awards for, for what could have been with this absolutely bizarre season. We'll talk about that right after this. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are talking about what could have been the 2017 season. An absolute calamity of errors uh, that really stemmed from injuries on this one. We talked through all of the games in the beginning uh in the bowl game. What do you remember about this bowl game, the 2017 bowl game? 
I believe this was the complete collapse, like in the second half, like where Michigan had a lead was just like it was a South steadily had, game. Yeah, and then just fell apart completely. Twenty six nineteen was the, yeah, absolutely. This game looked like we were completely in control in this one. I believe Wilton Spate came back for this one. Let me see. I got it right. Yeah, here. who came back as? I mean, we had three different quarterbacks this season, which really defined it. But yeah, ending with a win against South Carolina, even though this was kind of a lost season, still would have really set a better tone and given us a much better taste in our mouth with this with this season. Uh, Peters came back and was. That's right. Here it is. Here's the play calling again. How many passes did Brandon Peters throw in this game? I'm gonna say through like 20 passes. 44. <laughs> That's preposterous. Brandon Peters was 20 of 44 with two picks. Karan Higdon had 17 carries. Chris Evans had nine. How did this coaching staff, based on like the, the fact that this was the run first, this was like old school Harbaugh, Tim Drevno, built on the offensive line and running. You've got a thousand yard rusher in Karan Higdon. Yeah, I, I do not understand that. It's it makes absolutely no sense. Michigan was outscored ten to nothing in the fourth quarter, which cost them the game. And yeah, this that's exactly what I remember. Just to collapse, like oh, we're gonna get through this game at South Carolina. Not excited to be here. And then they took advantage. And I think that's one of the biggest stains of the Harbaugh era. Is every season has ended with a back to back dud performance of Ohio State in a bowl game, except for fifteen. Yeah, you're absolutely right, except for his first year. And we just can't get the bowl win, which, look, if it's not the Rose Bowl or, you know, a championship game, I get it. That might not excite some people, but it's still a like a game for the program. It's a chance for the fans to get behind this team, to root for these guys one more time. I think they matter still. I still watch the South Carolina game. Like, you know what feels good? Winning. Winning. At anything. Yes. At anything. Watch, <laughs> watching your team get a win. So, all right, so let's get into some of the players that we remember from this. Um, but first, before we do that, need to give some love to our sponsors at Homefield Apparel, the Homefield Apparel company out of Indianapolis, some of the most incredibly comfortable, affordable sportswear apparel that you're going to find out there on the market. Take a look at the selection. They've got anything that you need as far as old school, new school designs. They've got the Michigan line absolutely covered. Um, I have spent maybe more than I should, but at home field, you don't really have to worry about getting price gouged. So that's the beauty of it. So you can get 25%, 20% off with your first purchase with MND at checkout when you go to homefieldapparel.com. All right. So the, the players that you remember most. So uh, I'll start it out on offense. I remember this as like the year of the running back. I remember Higdon, Evans, and, uh, and Ty Isaac. And Ty Isaac could have been awesome if he could have held on to the ball i remember him having fumble problems but really looking like a stud he always struggled to stay healthy originally began his career at usc similar issues he was massive by the way wasn't ties like six three three i think yeah yeah just a massive human being you touched on it earlier we had three running backs go over 500 yards higdon 994 evans 685 and who was it ty isaac had five five 48 on only 88 carries. I mean, so each running back averaged over five yards a carry. Um, Isaac with the best average of all. And those are what kept us alive. So it felt really weird to see like bowl games where we're throwing the ball 44 times. Yeah, it was absolutely <clears throat> strange. 
it'll be remembered as the year of the quarterback, though, and you can't help but mention all three because all three played a role. Spate because he went out early. O'Corn because he was the transfer that was brought in from Houston with the huge numbers. You know, that was the reclamation project, but played way better at Houston. And there was Peters, the guy that was supposed to be the future of the program that, you know, the fans mostly wanted to see. Which one of these quarterbacks, if healthy, and I can, we can go ahead and remove O'Corn, but between Peters and Spate, if healthy, playing the whole year, which one would you have rather had for the 2017 season? It's I, I would have probably leaned toward Peters in this one. Spate just didn't seem to have that playmaking juice. I mean, he was good against – he played decent against Florida. I can't say good. His numbers weren't great. But the funny thing about this season is the parallels from our top three passers to our top three rushers. Top passer, 973 yards. Top rusher, 994. Second passer, 672. Second rusher, 685. That's mad. Third rusher, 58. Third passer, 581. Third rusher, 548. <laughs> that is crazy. So pretty much across the board. This team was a team on the ground through and through, and we're going to live and die on the ground. Yeah, we could not throw the ball. It finished with nine passing touchdowns and ten interceptions. That is abhorrent. <laughs> it is. You should never have your like, – if you're having three quarterbacks play that much, their numbers should never align that much with a rushing attack. No, absolutely not. Some of the other names that were on this team, though, just to mention them, uh, we did have Khalid Hill and Ben Mason on the team at the same time. What an all-timer for – fullbacks um this was a, a better tight end lineup than we've had in a while with gentry McHugh, and eubanks you still had Tariq and nico and dpj on this team but those guys are freshmen um and Tariq was actually the best freshman and then grant perry's actually your leading wide receiver uh, on this team and uh, i mean that goes to say something but the defense, 307 yards <laughs> oh, jesus the defense <laughs> however had some guys um, but this was once again, the freshman class We're bringing in like, you know, the, the young guys, Devin Bush, Khalid Hudson, when are, are coming along. Um, but you still got some holdovers. This was kind of Mo Hurst team, the one returning starter. I, I would have to look this up. I don't know if there's how many college football defenses of all time have at least six players with 10 or more tackles for loss in a season, this but this where, team has it. This is where it gets crazy. You got those stats brought up. Now's a good time to get into it. I got them. So got tackles it. for lost leaders. I'm going to go one to six in order. Chase Winovich, 19. Which is crazy. We talked about this <laughs> a few weeks ago. That's madness. 19. Second, Mike McCray, who shares an Instagram with his girlfriend, now wife. 16. Tied with Khalid Hudson, who also has 16 tackles for loss. <laughs> That's, That's crazy. crazy. So, and then you've got what? Maurice Hurst with 13 next? Correct. And then Gary is 11 and a half. And then Devin Bush with 10. Okay. And then the sack numbers pretty much line up with that. Winovich leads the team with eight and a half. Kalik Hudson with seven and a half, which is a monster number for a sophomore at this point. Yes. Yeah. yeah. For a sophomore. True sophomore. Yeah. At this point, five and a half from Gary, five and a half from Hurst at the defensive tackle position, five and a half from sophomore Bush, four and a half from McCray. This is a balanced team that lived in the backfield and like with Maurice Hurst there as that penetrating defensive tackle, I really think that is what made this defense so good. I, I looking back at this, these numbers are great around the board. This was the Hurst defense. 
I, I'm with you. I think it really changed a lot of things because you had Hurst in there to do a lot more than Michigan's had in the hardball era from a defensive tackle standpoint. And then behind him, you had a heat-seeking missile in Devin Bush. And you had this edge combo that no one knew about Chase Winovich coming in was going to be this good. And Rashawn Gary's best season. So, I mean, Klee it was Cutson's just Cutson's best season. Easily Klee Cutson's best season. It was a lot of guys that there's not a lot of tape on yet coming onto the scene and announcing themselves. And it's kind of like a Don Brown defense tailor made. Like, if he could make it, it would be this. And, abs- and you have David Long and Lavert Hill playing like absolutely shut down, locked down on both corners. You got Ambry Thomas and Brandon Watson on this team as well. Quiddy Pay, Josh Uche. Tyree Nell is back there and having a really good season for it. So it's a well-rounded team for returning one defensive starter. Like this is one of the most impressive defensive performances and like goes to show why at one point we were so high on Don Brown. Yeah, Don Brown is still a good coach, and I believe he'll have success again, and this season points to it. The versatility, the way he found the guys to fit in and not lose a step from 16 is just very impressive. So, yeah, this was such an interesting season. It was the year when just players were coming out of nowhere. Like, I never thought Chase Winovich would be one of my favorite Wolverines ever. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely, and it started this year. Devin Bush, pretty early on in the Florida game, I was like, oh, this is going to be my favorite player ever. Probably needs to lay off the Twitter for a while, but sit a couple plays out now. Maybe, maybe sit one out here with the with the Twitter Devin Bush. But yeah, at this point, um, I was pretty high on him. Anybody else on the defense you wanted to mention that stood out to you that year? So uh, let me see. I was just running through the whole roster. I think just honestly, just the surprising depth of seeing players like Quiddy Pay have a sack. Noah Furbush was awesome on this team. Yeah. Finished the year with three tackles for loss, a sack, one pick a pass deflection, two fumble recoveries, and a touchdown. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> and isn't he, like, designing rockets and satellites now? Something like that. Always had the great hair and was just aggressive player in there. He was like diet Josh Uche. Like, he played well, explosive, just, you know, didn't have it to the next level, but, like, very serviceable. I love Josh. I love Noah Furbush. Josh Uche was on this team, too, right? Yeah, Uche was on this team as well, still trying to find his way. Aubrey Solomon's on this team, Jordan Glasgow. Uh, on uh, Back to the offense really quick. Do you remember Kareem Walker? Yeah, also on this team. I sure do, yeah. <laughs> Kareem Walker really didn't. <laughs> I think he had a tough time spelling academics sometimes. Yeah, yeah, he had a rough go of it. But uh, also uh, McDoom, Kakoa Crawford. Yeah. We had the all-name, all-hair team at receiver. We were excited about that. Man, Eddie, I loved Eddie yeah. McDoom. Tyrone Wheatley was still there. Uh, Mo yeah. Ways, Drake Harris. Drake Harris, Mo Ways. Yeah, there were some guys we were high on that never panned out for sure. Best fullback room ever with Pogi, Mason, and Khalid Hill. Yes. Yeah. I, I wrote that down as well. I was like, oh, man, that fullback room is, is nasty. Why don't we just run more Ben Mason and Khalid Hill? Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. I mean, we don't need the Carlo Kemp run game. We had it. We had Pogi back there. Pogi, baby. Let's go. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. F- again, 44 pass attempts against South Carolina. Like, yeah. It, it goes to show. All right. Let's get yeah. into these categories to kind of wrap up what happened with this season. First category is turning point of the season. This, I, I don't know that you're going to be able to pick one for this. I think you have to pick two, but I, yeah. let's, let's hear. I mean, the nominees, obviously, Wilton Spate going out against Purdue. Um, Brandon Peters going out against Wisconsin. John O'Corn missing Chris Evans for four yards uh, against Ohio State. Josh Metellus <laughs> dropping the interception against Ohio State. 
And mm. yeah, those, those, yeah, we'll stick with that. Or uh, the just overall coaching against Michigan State. Honestly, because it's, I want to pick the Wisconsin injury to Brandon Peters, but that's so late in the season. Like yeah. that's second to last game. Right. Yeah. Anything Ohio State's tough. We can get into that individually in a second. I'm going to go with just, man, it's so tough. I want to go the coaching at Penn State, uh, coaching at Michigan State, because Michigan was seventh and Michigan State was unranked. Right. And we're throwing the ball that many times in a monsoon. But I'm also torn about a look in the Penn State game, just not being able to move the ball in the second half. But it's like, okay, well, that kind of goes back to this injury. So I'm going to go, honestly, the Wilton Spade injury. Yeah, it's, that's what it, I was going to say. Because starts there. It, it's hard to choose the whole game as a turning point yeah. with Michigan State. Because, I mean, at any point in that game, you could have started running the ball and probably had a different outcome. Um, same with Penn State. Like, if you can get anything going in the second half. But if I have to pick one moment that turned the season, it's the Wilton Spade injury. Yeah, because the we, next it, next game is Michigan State, and that's when it all starts exactly. to kind of trickle. So if Wilton Spade's in that, I don't know. Hopefully they wouldn't have felt the need to throw it 40 times, but if they did, you know, I'd rather have Wilton Spade throwing it than O'Corn. Yeah, th- that's that's the right answer. So, all right, best moment of the season. Minnesota. Oh, yeah, I was going to back- say, a couple, <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple, um, well, let's not forget opening the season at Jerry World, ranked 11th against number 17 Florida, uh, Tariq Black as a freshman catching a touchdown in the in the all maze uniform you know we were pretty excited at that point um yeah at minnesota or at or against minnesota or at maryland with brandon peters kind of on a run there um it's the the florida game is tough because michigan wins 33 17 but literally 14 of florida's points come off wilton spate pick sixes yeah 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 that's a weird one I like the Minnesota game because it's a blowout, thirty-three to ten at home, two hundred-yard rushers. And I think Karan Higdon. I think he might have gotten two hundred in that game. He was close. Higdon got two hundred. Evans had one ninety. <laughs> yeah, that, and then you get the Khalid Hudson game, yeah, breaking yeah, the NCAA the record for tackles yeah. for loss. Easily my favorite moment of the season. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm not even going to argue that. I was just trying to bring up some other options, but you're, I'm with you. That was the best <laughs> moment. And you believed. You believe we can beat Ohio State at that moment, you know? Yeah, because like I said, same night, they get blown out by Iowa at Kinnick. Game we should have won. couple candidates in this one. We've already <laughs> talked through them. But the top two have to be Michigan State and Wisconsin. I mean, they could be – Or you South, Carolina. Michigan, South Carolina. South Carolina is a good one. Or Ohio State. Or like, Ohio I mean, State. Yeah, you've got 14 nothing lead. But the game we absolutely should have won is at home – against michigan state there is no way it's any of the other ones correct that's the only acceptable answer because like you could say ohio state we had the lead you could say like wisconsin were tied but no it's michigan state like and and the next one is actually probably south carolina because we were up in that game yeah and and that was just and just uh, crap the bed michigan was a better team than south carolina michigan was a better team than south carolina they just kind of lost focus and yeah went downhill after that all right, game we should have lost. I don't know about this one. This one's a little tougher. I will maybe Air Force. We did not play well against Air Force and had a lot of trouble until late in that game. Same with Cincinnati. Those were kind of meh games, but it never really felt like we were going to lose. Air Force Reed. was much too close for my liking. 
Read John O'Corn's stat line from Indiana. Again. Indiana. It's Indiana. <laughs> 10, no, it's Indiana. 10 for 20 for 58 yards. How did we win that game? I just forgot all about it. It's Indiana. It made no sense. Win by a touchdown just because Karan Higdon goes superhuman in this game. Honestly, Karan Higdon needs to be more appreciated is what I'm getting out of this podcast. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this, this season could have actually been awful if we didn't have a running back. This could have been one of the worst seasons you ever witnessed. Yeah, the just Karan Higdon saving this team over and over again. So, yeah, you could say Air Force, but it's like just struggled that game more than we should have. But Indiana, that passing line, 58 yards? No, no, you're right. I'm stupid. I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that is the game we should have lost, yes. Yeah. Um, all right, my favorite category. The Chris Vernon, what are we doing here yeah. moment. What The moment of the season where it was inexplicable, the most inexplicable moment of the season. Um, a few candidates, uh, John O'Corn, 10 for 20 for 58 yards against Indiana and still being in the game and not playing Brandon Peters. Uh, overall coaching against Michigan State, let's uh, point to 35 passing attempts in a monsoon. Uh, 44 passing attempts for a coming off injury, Brandon Peters, in a bowl game when you have a thousand yard rusher. Uh, Ohio, John O'Corn, Ohio State, just John looking O'Korn over, not seeing Chris Evans on fourth and four. Look, that happens. Like in the moment of the game, missing a guy like that hat. Like, I just want to mention it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's mentionable. But honestly, like, Wilton Spate back to back pick sixes against Florida. Against it's up Florida. There. Yeah, good point. Very <laughs> good point. Like a game we could have lost if we weren't like such a better team than Florida at that point. I think those are like two straight passing attempts too. Like, I think it was, it was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> unfortunately the, what are we doing here? Moment is 100% 35 passing attempts from John O'Corn in a monsoon. Yeah. It's honestly close to runner up though, is off injury. Brandon Peters with 44, 44 in the bowl attempts. game. <laughs> Look, if you had can't like, feel his arm, <laughs> if you had last year, Illinois, Brandon Peters throwing 44 attempts, like, all right, let's talk. Like, that is he, not the case. He just left the hospital. He was discharged that morning. And they had him out there hucking it 44 times. <laughs> like, yeah, rub some dirt on it. Karan doesn't need a thousand. Like, that's like a, that's high for a pitch count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, though, it has to go to the, the passing in the Michigan State game. And it's their fault Eddie McDoom dropped that pass because they're forcing into a no, th- like, a no-win situation. You get the choke meme that comes out of it that always circulates. It's 100% on the coaching staff. Like, what are we doing here throwing the ball like that in a rainstorm? Yep, that is the what are we doing here moment. (sighs) Offensive MVP is a morose category. It is without 110% the man we've been talking about this whole podcast. It's Karan Higdon. But, I mean, like, if you look anywhere else, it's morose. (laughs) Chris Evans, number two, Ty Isaac, number three. Those are your MVPs. <laughs> Don't mention anyone else. Um, actually, what are Khalid Hill's touchdown numbers on that season? Khalid Hill had three. Uh, Karan Higdon had 11, and Chris Evans had seven. Okay, yeah. So we've mentioned <laughs> everyone we need to mention there. Let's move on. The, uh, hold MVP. on, hold on. I have one more fun stat for you. Oh, please. All right, so how many Michigan players – had more than one touchdown reception. All position. Um, I think Sean McEwen and yes, maybe correct. 
Maybe Zach Gentry had two, or maybe Zach Gentry had one. Correct. Sean McCune had three. Zach Gentry had two. There we go. And then, and then the next four players each had one of Chris Evans, Grant Perry, Kakoa Crawford, and Tariq Black. And in Grant Perry's the only one that played all four years. Good God. It's not really a fair <laughs> ask because I've done my research on this season now. But yeah, I knew it was really rough with the receiving numbers because we go a long time without a receiver touchdown to the point when we have one the next season, it makes national news. It finally explodes. Thank God in 2018, but yeah, Karan Higdon, 11 touchdowns, Chris Evans, seven honorable mention offensive line. I think was Mank Mason Cole was still there playing tackle. I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you. Honorable so yeah, Mason there. Cole also honorable mention. Yeah. Um, Here's a uh, just a superlative before we get to the next category here. Did this season and how awful it was with the passing attack, did that spur changes to the coaching staff, in your opinion? Like, even 100%. though it was largely driven by injuries, like 100%. the inability to get the ball to a wide receiver and the perception of that, that had, yeah, like I'm with you, that had to have spurred some of the changes that came after this the noise around the program was so loud at that time. So I think it definitely turned their hand here. But I also want to ask you, this was looking at how abhorrent the passing was this season. Are we lucky we got eight wins? We're lucky we got eight wins, but when you go back on it, this could have been 10. Yeah, this could have been 10. <laughs> it's just, just, it's such a bizarre team. The passing is non-existent. Like, you wonder if, like, you just go the other route. We don't throw the ball more than 10 times in every game. Do we go 10-2? and two? Right. Right. I mean, yeah, but we're, we're going to get to that. Um, all right, defensive MVP. couple candidate, candidates here. We already talked about Maurice Hurst. He's probably your front runner, even though his stats aren't necessarily going to be the best. Chase Winovich, you mentioned um, maybe co-front runner because that's absurd. 19 tackles for loss and eight and a half sacks is a monster year. Um, and I believe not an all American this year, but all big 10 um, Maurice Hurst, all big 10 uh, Rashawn Gary, 11 and a half, five and a half. Um, you could throw him in there. Kalik Hudson. You have to mention with 16 tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks. And he ties the NCAA record for tackles for loss in a game. Um, anybody this else? Is, Mike, you say Devin Bush. Uh, I didn't say Devin Bush, 10 tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, but led the team in total tackles by a lot, by a lot. 95 total tackles is a big season. And the pass deflections, he had seven, <laughs> was second on the team, only behind Kalik, who had nine. So this isn't a runaway. No, this isn't, this isn't a runaway. I'm interested. You go first on this one. Who's your choice here? This is, man, this is so tough because you look at other numbers like, Kalik Hudson, we you said the tackles for loss, the sacks. How about He's the third. numbers that aren't here coming into the 2018 season? The uh, the PFF numbers for David Long and Lavert Hill that you're not gonna that are not gonna be on you know your typical box score, but nobody it's, could throw against David Long and Lavert Hill. You know, so let's it's, not. It's just, true. Yeah, let's not leave them out just because they don't have big numbers. This is tough. I'm I'm gonna go with Kalik Hudson, but he was third on the team in tackles. He's tied for second in tackles for loss, has sets the NCAA record for a game. He has seven and a half sacks, which is second on the team. He has two interceptions, which is tied for the lead on the team. Nine pass deflections, which is second on the, which is 
first on the team and two forced fumbles, which is tied for first on the team. All right. I'm fine with that pick. You know, I'm a Hudson guy. I'm going to go away from the stats and back to the eye test after having watched some of these games again, or at least the highlights. Maurice Hurst was the engine that drove this defense. The one returning starter. He was so dominant this year that it allowed everything else to happen. When you have to put two guys like in the center of your offensive line on one guy every single time, it is a nightmare to try and find protection. And that's why we lived in the backfield that I am convinced of it. Like I, I'm, this is a, a hill I'm ready to die on that. Like <laughs> we, the reason that our defensive defenses have got progressively worse is we haven't had anybody in the middle that can do anything like that to allow like, and, and maybe Don Brown took a lot of heat, but that, those defenses last year were inexcusable. But like the fact that when we had Maurice Hurst, these guys that are freshmen and sophomores and young guys could just feast in the backfield. Like I'm looking at these numbers compared to 2018 and I'm like, okay, the numbers drop off a little bit. What is the missing like factor? And it's Maurice Hurst. I'm, I'm not going to fight you on that. There's honestly five guys you could make a case for here with either the corners with Devin Bush, Mo Hurst, Chase Winovich. I mean, just tons of guys here to discuss, which is crazy all this defense. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we could spend some time talking about him because when you go back and look at the numbers, like 19 tackles for loss for Chase Winovich is just something you don't don't even think about. You just kind of forget. You think of the right. revenge tour the next season. Right, exactly, this, yeah. And I think that's this 17 kind of, defense was special. Isn't that what the gen the the genesis of this pod was? As we looked back at some of these statistics for this year, and we're like, "How is this defense so good?" And this year's just looked at as an abject failure. Yeah, like it's like you said, we're, we're in it now, and we're looking at all these numbers. I'm like, man, this is we could have won more game. We could have won 10 games this season. And you dig into it, it's like, wow, we could have won five games this season. <laughs> Just the inept quarterback play, the dynamic rushing, a defense that was just, like I said, lived in the backfield. Lived in the backfield. I just, man, it's hard to rank defenses of the Michigan era, of the hardball era. That's a hard podcast. It really is. And was this defense, like, does it look kind of better on paper because they were in more, like, tighter games and they were on the field longer? Like, does that play a role it might do that like that might be the case in other years like if you're up by 25 chase winovich isn't going to be on the field and that's honestly that's a good case for especially 16 and 18 offenses were so much better than the, the 17 were so much better and i think in modern college football you'd rather have that yeah you have to be able to pay complimentary football because i'd love to see time on the field this defense had to have probably led the country because the only defenses ranked above them, I believe, were Alabama, Wisconsin, and maybe Clemson. Right. And yeah, which is crazy, <laughs> which is crazy. And it brings us to our last category, the biggest what if. We've kind of already been touching on it. I think it's pretty clear with this one, and you can phrase it however you want. But the biggest what if is what if we had competent quarterback play for an entire season? Yeah, you could take this quest. You could take this answer a lot of different ways. What if the injury doesn't happen to Spate? What if it doesn't happen to Peters at Wisconsin? What if you see the fourth and four at Ohio State? But it all comes back to that singular point of just competent quarterback play. What if you put? I can't say Dad Rudock. 
But what if you put last year's Cade McNamara yeah. in this offense? Yeah, Shea Patterson. Pick any of the guys that we've had. Um, let's even go back before that, like a John Navarre. Yeah, John. <laughs> that's a great average quarterback. That is perfect. That is just like John Navarre would have taken us probably like we lose one game. Facts, dude. A hundred percent. That's a one loss team with John Navarre. Oh, man. And that's this the is... biggest what if to me is because you look at these games and you're right. We could have maybe won five games. How do you go 10 for 20 for 58 yards in the win Big 10 and win a game? But at the same time, if you're winning that game, how good is the rest of your team that you can survive that awful of quarterback play? It's like a double. It's it's a catch 22. You know, like what the hell was this team? It's. And then after this season, like we talked about, it sparked the coaching changes. This is Gat. Was this? This wasn't Gattis's first season. Nineteen was Gattis's first no, no, no. season. Pep right? Hamilton came. Pep back. Hamilton took over. I loved the eighteen team. That was like that was the revenge tour year. Yeah. And up and up until Ohio State, it's like our only loss in the season was a one one score defeat where Patterson got hurt at Notre Dame week one. Right. At night in prime time. Right. And then he whip off ten straight, and the offense was dynamic. So. Right. Yeah. Oh, so this this year, while like looked at as an abject failure, I don't remember us at the end of this year being like defeated or in any way like this was a lost season. Like it was we came into the season with low expectations. So let's start there because of one guy returning on defense, Wilton Spate coming in at quarterback who we were like, all right, we saw against Minnesota and that was OK. We had no idea what to expect there. So I think we thought like eight and five was about right coming in. Am I wrong thinking that? Like we didn't have crazy high expectations this year. Yeah, I think that we definitely tempered them. The opening game is what swung it. Beating Florida like that on a neutral field when Florida was 17, we were preseason 11. It's like, oh, okay, no, we're going to be really good once the quarterback play gets a little bit better. But it's kind of got worse. The quarterback play got worse. And if you want to talk about this season as like the bigger picture, the quarterback play ha still plagues us. It is still probably the one thing that separates us, even though it improved from this season. If you had Shea Patterson's best season, a full season of Shea Patterson, this team might go undefeated. Yeah, you get which is crazy. If you give Karan Higdon the ball more, if you, you might give win Karan ten Higdon or eleven the games. Ball more, yeah. It's it's bizarre to think because we definitely beat. All right, let's let's just a quick workshop of this healthy Shea Patterson on that team starting the season from game one. What game do we lose? Maybe Penn State. Penn State. Penn State. You lose we Penn lose State. One game. Yeah, you lose Penn State, and I think you could make the case they might lose Wisconsin, but I don't buy it because that defense was really amped up for that game, and that was going against Jonathan Taylor, and when the defense is on the field most of the game, you're going to wear down against a running back that good. It's just going to happen. So if Spates, I mean, if Patterson's out there, defense is going to be a little more rested. So you get the win, and then you play Ohio State. You have a 14 nothing lead. You're able to respond and score more in the second half. I don't know. The Ohio State one's the big enigma because he didn't prove to be a gamer. So I'm a big believer in the gamer mentality, the gamer philosophy. It, it just hurt because... Like that, eight, like eighteen Patterson, like ripping off the Wisconsin blowout, the Michigan State win with the clutch throw to DPJ, the Penn State blowout, forty-two-seven, and then you go into, but then the, the you get the bad taste in your mouth at the end of the season, sixty-two thirty-nine Ohio State, 
41 to 15 loss to Florida in the Peach Bowl. Absolutely. And in those games, he, he kind of fell apart. But, you know, he had moments where he rose and, and, and shined above that. But this was interesting, man. This 2017 team is uh, definitely not as bad as the record indicates. But at the same time, like, is one of the most inept offensive teams I've ever covered in, in all of my time. This, this, I'll always remember this season because it was our first season together. It was. And we went into the game, you know, feeling, feeling everything out. And at least the quarterback play has gotten a little bit better than this. That's true. Yeah. And we were, you know, kind of feeling our styles out at that point. And yep. maybe a good season for that because, like, we learned to temper expectations. And that uh, just because John O'Corn goes, you know, 50% and has a touchdown or an interception, maybe he's not the savior. Yeah, we shouldn't have anointed him Christ so fast. <laughs> he's, he's 18 for 26. He's going to save us. We, we kind of just sound like conspiracy theorists. At like, look into the numbers. The advanced <laughs> analytics back it up. And it's like, look into it. Yeah. They're like Chad Pennington numbers. They were like the most average numbers a human could Don't you talk. besmirch Chad Pennington <laughs> in front of me, sir. Almost went to the AFC championship game back to back or not back to back two time comeback player through dimes. He cannot be compared in this sentence ever to John He's almost a Heisman finalist. Well, look at this point, like our view of John O'Corn, if you compare anything to that, it's definitely viewed as an insult. Like, oh, yeah, like, don't you ever <laughs> compare Chad Pennington to John O'Corn. Yeah, Chad Pennington a, helped me move once. I made a roast, but my wife said it was like the John O'Corn of roasts. And uh, yeah, I'm never making another one. So I'm just, that's how I describe like disappointing. Like, how was your July 4th? It was the John O'Corn. It was J-O-K. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That sums up the 2017 season. A, All right, brother. Any final thoughts? No, man. This is fun to look back at a few of these teams. I think we'll have a, another week off and then – back again and honestly honestly maybe back every week after that be in august well i've got some ideas yeah we've got uh you know limited time and then it's time to start covering opponents we have decided the game that we shall be attending is the northern illinois game we will be there in the flesh um we would love to talk to to some of the listeners out there if you happen to be there for that game it's gonna be so nice to be just back at a sporting event in person gonna be great to see you we're gonna act a fool looking forward to that but as far as content yeah we're gonna start getting into the season i know it's july now but the next month is august and that is to me august is that's football month like there will be a month of wild speculation and optimism that's what i'm saying yeah speculation begins in august and that's like three weeks away so uh while it may still seem like peak off season it's time to start getting into this team and you know, it'll be exciting. Um, I think we're going to really start to get into like Cade McNamara and watch the awful, awful tape from last year, but really start to at least focus in on Cade Mack. I'm going to at least and start to figure out what we got with our starting quarterback that year. So this year. So yeah, excited about I need, that. Need to go back and watch all. I'm going to watch every game from last season, even the Penn State game. It's going to hurt. It's even the Michigan State game and Mel Tucker and all that. Like it's going to be really bad because. I don't think I've ever talked as much trash as I did before that Michigan State game, and it really backfired. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to get too deep into it as we're wrapping this up, but just like looking at this season as a whole, and maybe the 2017 season uh, is a good season to look back on for some reverence and to get some perspective. Coming into this season, we have a horrible, horrible taste in our mouth, and it's very hard to get excited about football right now. 
But remember, after the South Carolina game, we had a terrible taste in our mouth. We were like, we can't develop a quarterback. This team is god-awful. This is trash. Um, but there's an opportunity here for this team. And if Cade McNamara – Cade McNamara is a better quarterback than John O'Korn. Already. Fa- the easiest already. thing I've ever said all night. Like, easy. And <laughs> And – yeah, yeah they, our expectations I think are pretty like tempered at this point for this season. Like we're not expecting to go ten and two this season. Right? We're just not. We're not. But at the same time, there is there, there's reason that you should be and could be, you know, optimistic for something that's bigger. You know, with what came after the 2017 season and what we saw, they've shown the ability to rebound from a bad season. So maybe there's something there, and I'm excited to start dissecting the opponents and start dissecting the team. I just want this to be like. Like the Kong Skull Island of Seasons, where I go in with zero expectations, expecting to be angry at the end, but really enjoying myself. I'm looking forward to it, man. All that coming for us. That's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure that you like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, whether it be Apple Music, Spotify, wherever. Follow us on Twitter, at Maze Brew. I am Jared. That is Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.